Alrighty, folks, we're here to recap season one of Game of Thrones House of the Dragon. This video is sponsored by Established Titles because you have to establish your title. Okay, so let's talk about Game of Thrones House of the Dragon. Enjoyable. First of all, let's get to the obvious. Yes, it's filled with pornography. It's Game of Thrones. I mean, it's on HBO. HBO has a moral obligation, apparently, they believe, to show tits and ass, and so they just do that a lot. It actually is almost wholly relegated to, like, two episodes. There's a lot of bloody childbirth. I don't know why the writers were super into bloody childbirth, but there's, like, five of them during the season. So that was weird. The upside of the show is that it's all political manipulation. So that's stuff that's fun to watch, right? You're watching all of these characters vie over power. That was always the best part of the original Game of Thrones. The touch of magic in the original Game of Thrones was, I thought, the weakest part of the show. Everything that was going on with the White Walkers in the North was the least interesting part of the show. The dragons were there, but they weren't really a major topic except for Daenerys having one. Melisandre was there, but she actually had very little impact on the show itself. The part that was always really interesting was the battle between the houses because it was essentially the War of the Roses. So here in this show, they really dispense with a lot of the magic and it's just internecine warfare in the house. Well, I'm really into that. I, I like political dramas in which it's essentially a closed box. A lot of people are complaining the show's claustrophobic. It doesn't have the same sort of scope as the original Game of Thrones. And all of that's true, but it doesn't bother me too much. The biggest problem that I have with the show is the wild character inconsistencies. So to me, a lot of this is rooted in the decision to essentially split the season in half and then recast the season. So they start the story too early. The reality is that they really should start this story when everybody is an adult because the gap between the characters and how they are from the beginning of the season to the end of the season is pretty wild. Like Rhaenyra at the beginning of the season is not who Rhaenyra is at the end of the season. Alicent at the beginning of the season is not who Alicent is at the end of the season. Damon at the beginning of the season is not who Damon is at the end of the season. And if you are going to put these chess pieces on the board and then move them around in conflict with one another and develop some sort of interest in the characters over the long term, They have to have a consistent character. And I suppose you can make the argument that because the show takes place over a long period of time and people change and all this, that, you know, that's not inaccurate about human nature, but that is a problem in the show. When you watch the original Game of Thrones, Joffrey is Joffrey. There's no point at which Joffrey was a generous young man who turned into the world's worst human being. He was just bad. Ned Stark was always virtue laden, but thick, right? Like, their characters were who they were. Rob was always, you know, brave, bold young prince who's naive about the world. And you could name who they were in, in sort of one sentence. The big problem with House of the Dragon is that except for Viserys, who's pretty consistent and played by Patty Constantine, who's, who actually gives the best performance in the show, everybody else is all over the place. So let's start with Damon Targaryen. And so Matt Smith is magnetic on screen. He's terrific in the show. Also, Damon Targaryen's character makes no sense. So he starts off, He's happy that Viserys has a boy who dies and that his wife dies because it presumably makes him heir to the throne. So he wants the power. It's the thing that he wants the most of all. He wants the power. He goes and he fights a war specifically in order to gain the power. And then when he comes back, he doesn't challenge his brother in any way. He sort of bends the knee to his brother. So he has this love-hate relationship with his brother, but he wants to be king, but he doesn't want to be king, but he wants to have the power, but he doesn't want to have the power. And him sort of bending the knee to his niece is particularly weird because he's way older than she is and he thinks of himself as a warfighter Whereas Rhaenyra demonstrates very few qualities up until she becomes queen that actually make her worthy of being queen other than she's the daughter of her father. In fact, she's wildly unlikable. Young Rhaenyra is a hormonal teenager who refuses to abide by the duties of her job. Viserys keeps saying, like, there's what you want to do and there's what you need to do. And these are not the same thing. She's like, well, I want to do what I want to do. And this means I'm going to go with my uncle to a brothel and get felt up by him. And and it means that I'm going to have sex with my night's guard, dude. This is not the behavior that you'd want from your queen. Like, if you're going to name all the characteristics you want in a ruler, she embodied 
Virtually none of them. And then by the end of the show, just stick with Rhaenyra for a second. By the end of the show, suddenly Rhaenyra is really good at queening, right? Rhaenyra is given the crown. And despite the fact that she has dramatically undermined her own credibility, she's amazing at it, right? So she marries her husband, Valerian, who is gay. And then she has a bunch of kids, not just like one kid with a white dude named Strong. She has like three kids with that dude. This is one of the problems, by the way, with casting the Valerians as black, is it it destroys all semblance of plausible deniability for Anira, right? There's no way she can claim, well, you know, this it really is legit. Like everyone can see the kid's not legit. Everybody can see that the kid is a strong. Like what do you think? Everyone around you is unbelievably stupid? Like the arrogance that it would take to sire a child of the color that is not your husband's and then claim them as legitimate heir is really astonishing, right? And puts Viserys in a really bad position. So Rhaenyra is constantly making bad decision after bad decision up until the point she becomes queen. And then she becomes queen and suddenly she's amazing at this. Suddenly she's actually thinking seriously about how do I hold the realm together? She takes her duty incredibly seriously. There have been very few indicators that this is who Rhaenyra is the entire show. So that gap in time is really a problem. If you saw the transition over a small gap in time where maybe her father's death changes her, right? Maybe they start the season when she's an adult and she is irresponsible, right? She married her uncle, by the way, they make some moves in the show deliberately in order to make Rhaenyra not totally unlikable. They're not in the book. So for example, her husband gets dispatched with alacrity, my understanding is, in the book. In this one, they sort of exile him with his gay lover, which 100% would not happen in an ancient kingdom. <laughs> I'm sorry, not, not, not a real thing. And also, why would Damon go along with that? Damon's one of those brutal characters in the show. And he's like, no, we must allow this gay couple to escape to, to another country. Like, very, very weird move. Well, folks, we'll get to more on Game of Thrones House of the Dragon in just one moment. Everyone in that show is having a lot of problems getting the respect and title they deserve. But you have no such problems because you can get the title you deserve. Established titles. It's your opportunity to earn the title of Lord or Lady and gain the respect you deserve. All you need is a one-square-foot plot of land in Scotland. Established titles is a project based on a historic Scottish custom where landowners are referred to as lairds or lords and ladies in English. In your title pack, you'll be bestowed with at least one square foot of dedicated land on a private estate in Edelston, Scotland, plus an official certificate with a crest. Your certificate features a unique plot number with which you can see the exact location of your land. Title packs from established titles are a fun and unique gift for any occasion. There are even couples packs that come with adjoining plots of land for that special someone in your life. With your certificate, you could officially add the prefix of lord or lady to your credit cards, plane tickets, even your dating profiles. You could claim title to the Seven Kingdoms. Plus, established titles commits to preserving the woodlands not only in Scotland but around the planet partnerships with global charities like One Tree Planted and Trees for the Future to help with our afforestation efforts and for every order they receive, a tree is planted. And get this, established titles told me the first 200 people who purchase a title pack using my exclusive link receive a plot within a few walking minutes of my own. Established Titles is running a massive sale right now. If you use code BEN, you get an additional 10% off. Go to establishedtitles.com slash BEN to get your gifts now. Help support the channel and establish your title today. The transition in Rhaenyra makes no sense. This is paralleled by the transition in Alicent. So Alicent, played as a young woman by Emily Carey in a very good performance, and then Olivia Cook, who also gives a good performance. But they're two separate characters. Okay, so Emily Carey, when she is young, is virtue-driven, duty-bound, right? She's supposed to contrast with Rhaenyra, who's headstrong and, and emotion-bound. And Emily is doing exactly what her dad says, which makes her, by the way, a better regent in many ways than Rhaenyra would be. Rhaenyra would be unpredictable. She would do volatile things. Alicent is going to do what she thinks is best for the realm. And so she goes to Viserys, and she's the one who has to take on all the duties. I mean, she's like a kid. She's 16, 17 years old. And she's forced into an arranged marriage with this 45-year-old king who's kind of gross. And then she's having babies by him, presumably to solidify the line of the kingdom. And meanwhile, Viserys is still sticking with Rhaenyra for no reason that you can really imagine. Like his failure to just decrown Rhaenyra and put it on Aegon in the first place is very weird. 
It's very strange. If Viserys' thing is, I want to maintain the kingdom, the thing he ought to do is that, right? But he doesn't do that. Instead, he sticks with Rhaenyra, which again, weird decision by, by Viserys. But to get back to Alicent, she is innocent. She is forced into this position by her dad. By the time we get to the second half of the show, she has turned into one of the worst characters in the show. Now she is scheming and conniving and terrible. And she's doing all of this, presumably in order to crown her kids, in order to preserve their lives, not because she wants to unify the kingdom or, or thinks that that's a good idea, but because she's afraid that Rhaenyra is going to kill all of her kids, but she knows Rhaenyra. In fact, she, she appeals to Rhaenyra's sense of, of justice at the end of the show. So again, none of that makes a whole hell of a lot. And she becomes incredibly corrupt. By the end of the show, she's like sitting there and giving foot fetish pleasure to Lyra's strong. Right? Like none of that makes any sense. So she goes from a, a courageous and dutiful person standing up for her family and maybe for the good of the realm to a conniving, scheming person, all of whose children are terrible, by the way. Right? All of her kids are awful. For some reason, Renera ended up with like amazing kids and Alicent ended up with horrible kids, which is weird because Alicent seems to be much more involved with her kids than Renera is, but never mind you that. Okay, then you get to the Valerians. The real problem with the Valerians is that Renice obviously should be the queen. She has the best qualities. She actually thinks strategically. She knows what she is doing. And maybe that's one of the points of the show is that Viserys never should have been the king, that Renice should have been the, the queen in the first place. Again, she's constantly making decisions that are convenient for the writers. So at the very end of episode nine, for example, she like bursts through the floor with her dragon, killing probably a thousand commoners, but doesn't just fry the royal family and end the war. Why? She said, well, it's not my war to start. Well, it's your war to end, though. There are a few things you could do here. One thing that you could do, considering that you actually do have a claim to the throne and you have a giant-ass dragon and you're the only person in the entire kingdom, apparently, who knows that the crown has now been stolen, you could theoretically fry the Alicent side of the royal family. And then you could actually go to your husband and start a war for the crown yourself. Instead, you fly to Rhaenyra and pledge your loyalty to what end exactly? On behalf of grandkids who actually have no relationship with you genetically? It's, very, it's a very strange move. It's, it, it, all of this is very strange. Same thing with Lord Corliss, right, who starts off the show as a, as a very ambitious guy who's interested maybe in the crown himself and starts a war with Daemon in order to wrest control away from Viserys in some ways. And by the end of the show, he's bending the knee to Rhaenyra, again, for, for no apparent reason, considering that, as is pointed out, both Corliss and Renice think that Rhaenyra killed one of their sons and, like, burned his body. Okay, meanwhile, I, I know that we're supposed to hate Kristen Cole because Kristen Cole is emotional and bad and all of this, but Kristen Cole is pretty badly abused by Rhaenyra. I know that we're, we're just glossing over this because Rhaenyra is supposed to be the heroine of the piece. Kristen Cole is used the way he says he is used, and we're supposed to believe that because he's devoted to virtue, this means that he is bad. But I'm going to go counter the crowd here and say that early on, Kristen Cole is not the problem. Rhaenyra is the problem. Later on, of course, he becomes the problem. Him you know, basically pointing out that Rhaenyra is terrible, that's true for 95% of the show, except for like the last 5% of the show. Otto Hightower begins the show as sort of the manipulative hand. And the idea is that he wants power for himself. But that originally is not his motivation. Originally, his motivation is the kingdom is going to split apart if you name a girl. And so we need a son. And then he gets a son and he promotes the son. By the end, it's like, I just want power myself. When does that transition exactly happen for Otto? You don't really see it. This is just one of the big problems of the show is that the, the lack of character consistency means that it's very hard to root hard for anybody. You got Damon who's all over the place. You got Rhaenyra who's all over the place. You've got Alicent who's all over the place. The only one who's consistent is Viserys just because he seems to be wobbly the whole time. So th this is a problem. Okay, so finally, you get to the end of the show and Aemond who has been sort of prepping for the kingship, right? They make him, they make it clear he's been studying philosophy and he's been studying history. And he is a badass because he's claimed a dragon of his own without anybody's permission. 
Plus, he has a cool pirate patch and everything. He shows up at the Baratheon in order to woo the Baratheons for the war. Lucerys shows up, the son of Rhaenyra. And Lucerys is supposed to woo the Baratheons. And Aemond is pissed because he's still missing his eye. He taunts Lucerys, and then he chases him out of the hall, and he chases him down in the dragon. Okay, there's a major mistake that's made in this particular scene. And it's not indicated, my understanding is, in the book. And the major mistake that is made here is that of all the youngsters, it seems that the only two who are qualified to be king at all, just in terms of personality, are Jocerus and Aemon. Right? Aegon II is garbage and running away from his job, and which means that he'll be dispatched, I would imagine, right quickly next season. Lucerus has really no claim to the throne, considering that he's illegitimate, and neither does Jocerus. Aemon actually has a claim to the throne. He also happens to have been studying. He's a good warrior. We know that he's very clever. We know that he actually has the ability to, to hold himself back. He's not a profligate. And so suddenly in this last scene, he's played as wildly angry. What he should be is extraordinarily calculating. He should be thinking, okay, well, if this thing gets settled, then my claim to the throne is going to be essentially in question forever. What I need is a pathway to the throne. And the way I'm gonna get a pathway to the throne is maybe a war. Because I'm not getting a pathway to the throne any other way, so maybe I need a war here. And so I'm gonna lead off this war by killing this kid who took my eye years and years and years ago. And so he should coldly and in calculating fashion chase down Lucerus and kill him. You should be hating Amen. But you should also be sort of admiring the fact that he's coldly calculating. Instead, you get this weird dynamic where in the very last scene, the dragons get in a fight, but both riders don't actually want to be in the fight, right? Where Lucerus is trying to stop his dragon from attacking the other dragon. And he's like, no, no, no. But he's bad at controlling the dragon. So the dragon shoots the other dragon with fire. And then the giant ass dragon that Aemon is riding is like, chomp, and just eats small dragon along with Lucerus. And Aemon is like, oh no, what have I, oh no. And like, why though? That's totally out of character. Suddenly, he's, he, he has like conflicting feelings about killing members of the family. Since when? That's confusing. Bottom line for the first season of House of the Dragon. We need clearer characterization. We need to know who we are rooting for. We, we need to know why they've developed in the way that they have. Many of the problems here, as I say, could have been avoided by simply starting the season with the second half of the season. So they actually learn to be interested in the backstories of these characters. Like, it, it'd be cool to find out the revelation that Damon once had designs on the throne. It'd be cool to find out that Aemon's eye was taken by Lucerus. Not that you watch them do the six kids, but like that's why they hate each other. It would be cool to find all this out in the context of almost a stage play, which is really what the first season is. Instead, because of that divide in the season, you kind of start to identify with these characters and then they shift forward 10 years in time. They recast half the cast and they change the characters of half the cast. And they make a bunch of kind of simple, stupid writing choices that get them out of trouble in one area only to create trouble in another area. Rhaenys not blowing up the entire Allison Hightower side of the family. And these are just bad writing decisions and sloppy writing in order to get them out of a problem, which is, what do we do? Oh, we'll have her bust through with the dragon. Why? I don't know. It'd be cool. It's hard to get over the chasm in the internal logic of the show. In fact, this season seems to be written more like Game of Thrones season five than Game of Thrones season one. And Game of Thrones season one is very tightly written because it was all plotted out by uh, George R.R. Martin. But uh, th this season seems to be plotted out by the TV writers. And this means that they rely on a bunch of kind of silly tropes to get by. Overall, out of five swords, I will give Game of Thrones House of the Dragon season one 3.5 swords. Could have been five. It wasn't. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 